Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Good to see each and every one of you. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, let me just say at the, the start of the message here, uh, if you are here in attendance or watching online and you have not yet made the decision to step across that line of faith and make Jesus Christ your personal Savior, I want you to know that I'm, I'm glad that you're listening to this message and uh, know that I'm talking mainly to Christians today. Uh, but it's a great opportunity for you to be able to kind of peek under the hood of what Christianity is. And for those of you that would say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a a Christian. This is a a reminder today of the importance of our relationship with Jesus. We've been talking about relationships. And something I want you to know is that spiritual activity doesn't necessarily equal spiritual maturity, right? Spiritual activity, just doing a bunch of stuff for God, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a Christian. And that also doesn't necessarily mean that you're growing in your relationship with him. Now, a lot of times in our lives, uh, we're trying to work to please God. We, we want to perform to please him. And we think if we're working harder and we're doing a whole bunch of Christian stuff, well, then he's going to be more pleased. And all of that, it comes from a good place because we know how much Jesus has done for us. And because Jesus has done so much for us, we want to reciprocate and we want to give to him. We, we want to serve him. It was Henry Blackaby who has said that uh, we are so activity oriented that we believe that we're saved for a task to perform rather than for a relationship to enjoy. We can get so busy doing Christian activity that we forget. We forget about the relationship, the personal relationship we're to have with Jesus. And that's what he's invited us into as believers is into a relationship with him. And that's what we've been talking about the past few weeks here. In fact, last week we were in Mark chapter 3 and we saw Jesus call his first followers to follow him, to be with him. And that's what we're going to find today in the book of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, real quick, uh, verse 28. Uh, I want you to see something here. Jesus says, come to me. So again, he is inviting us into a relationship. I want you to come to me, come be with me. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and work harder. Come to me, all you who are tired and worn out, and perform more. No. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what I think we're looking for. We could use some rest. Then he goes on, he says this. Take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke is something that you would put on oxen or animals so that they could pull together. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest, there's the word again, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Rest, easy, light. That is what Jesus Christ invites us into. Not just simply perform, perform, and work, and strive. And maybe in your own life, uh, you have found yourself in this place of Christianity, of working to try to get God to be pleased with you, to try in some way to to earn back his, his favor, his goodness, his good pleasure. But that is not the call. 
I don't know if you've ever come to this place in your Christian life where you've been working so hard, you've been performing so much that you just get worn out. I've been there before, and maybe you've been there. And fortunately, there's these moments in our lives where we just get tired, and we come to the end of ourselves. We come to the end of our striving, the end of our energy, and it's in those moments that God in his sovereignty, his grace, and his mercy, he just kicks out all of the props that we have used to hold ourselves up with. And it's in those moments where we realize that Jesus is enough. That's just Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything. It is, it is sola Christus, Christ alone. And the relationship that he calls me into, not to perform for him, not to try to get God to smile on me and to finally be pleased because I'm working so hard to be a good Christian and perform. No, it is based on the relationship. Our Christian life is not that we would do something for Jesus, but that we would be with him. And if you don't grasp this, like if you don't begin to understand this, My guess is you're going to go through your Christian life and you're going to be very, very disappointed because you will never be able to please God. If you think in your head that in some way you have to reciprocate and you have to perform and you got to work hard and you got to be very obedient and keep all the commands and you're going to do all of that in your own energy, you're going to wear yourself out because you will never, ever be able to earn God's love or fully pay him back for all of the good things that he has done to provide salvation for you. Your Christian walk is not based on your performance. It's not based on duty. It is based on the fact that you are a chosen child of God, valued by him to be in a relationship with him. Now, why is this so important? Why is, why is being with Jesus, spending time with him, so important? Well, again, I believe that it's important for our Christian maturity, that we would have maturation in our life, that we would have sanctification, that we would be made more holy, to be looking more and more like Jesus Christ. And that happens as we're with Jesus. We're spending time with him. And I'm not just talking like in your devotional time. I'm not just talking God time. I'm talking that you and I would live and walk and go through this life in such a way that moment by moment, we are aware that there is a father in heaven who loves us and we are intimately connected with him through his son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have life. In him, we live and move and have our being. This is how connected we are to be to this God of the universe, to be with him, connected with his son, Jesus Christ, in a relationship. This is Christianity. Again, why is this so important to be with Jesus? I'm going to throw out some rhetorical questions, but I believe it's important to be with Jesus so that we can look like him, right? If we're going to look like him, that means we're going to live a holy life. We're going to be obedient to his word. Uh, We're going to walk away from sin. So, So let me ask you this. As Christians, do Christians want to sin? Rhetorical, you don't have to answer right now, but just think, do Christians have to sin? Now, that's kind of a tricky question because when we face temptation, we give in to temptation because we want the sin. So as long as we're on this side of heaven, while we're walking this earth, we, we are going to be tempted by sin. We are going to have a natural bent, a natural pull to go in the direction of sin. So don't ever get to the place in your Christian walk where you say, there's no way I could slip up. There's no way I could sin. There's no way I could fail and fall. That's, that's a trick of the enemy to, to come to this place and be like, well, I am so strong. There's no way that I could sin. No, that's not the truth. But also, 
you need to realize that as Christians, we have been given new life by Christ. Through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're not bound and enslaved to sin. We're not bound and enslaved to the desires of the flesh. When Jesus Christ came into our heart, into our life, he gave us a new heart. He made us a new creation. He empowered us with his Holy Spirit. And no longer do we have to sin because we are chained to it. And that is our identity. No, we have been freed by him. So let me ask you this. As a, as a Christian, when you sin, how does it make you feel? Now, hopefully you're going to say, well, I feel bad. Like, I, I feel remorse. I, I feel this conviction. Because the fact of the matter is, as a, as a Christian, we're going to be most uh, delighted and most satisfied when we're pleasing God. And we know that it's not pleasing to God when we disobey him and we go in the direction of sinning in our lives. And so in our heart of hearts, we don't want to sin. So the answer is no. A Christian doesn't want to sin. At the same time, we say, well, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But in our heart, we don't want to. We don't want to displease God because we know that when we sin, we have broken fellowship with him and we can sense it. We feel it. We just feel like we have gotten distant from him. So we don't want to sin. Next question is this. Again, rhetorical, but we'll look in the Bible. Does a Christian have to sin? Does a Christian have to sin? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, we read this. We know that our old self now, the old self is, is who we were before. It's the, the person that we came into this world as we were broken and separated from God. We were, we were lost in our transgressions and our sins. We, we have this old self, this old man who, who belonged not to God, but belonged to just uh, depravity. But that old self was crucified, thank God, crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So this is past tense work. This is what Jesus did on the cross. This is what he did for us. And then it goes on, verse 7, it says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Amen. One who has died has been set free from sin. So that old dead self was crucified with Jesus. It was buried with Jesus, and it's dead. Now, you, you can go back, and you can try to dig it up if you want and carry it around, but you don't have to. You are no longer enslaved to sin. You have been set free. You've been set free by what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross and given you life by rising from the grave, sending his spirit to indwell you. Let's see, what, what does Paul have to say about do we have to sin? In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. We, we, we walk around life when we have temptation, we think, well, nobody else knows what I'm going through. Nobody else has uh, the temptation that I have. Nobody understands it. I, I'm on my own. I'm a little island. I better not share this with anybody else because they would look at me funny. Like nobody else has to deal with this. No, no, no. Your temptation, it's common. You, you've got your average run of the mill. You have a garden variety sin, pun intended, right? In the garden, temptation. We all face the same kind of temptations. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
So every time temptation begins to come your way, God's faithful. He's going to give a window of opportunity. He is going to give you because you're no longer enslaved, in prison to sin, no longer chained to sin, a window of opportunity every time for you to escape. And he has empowered you with his Holy Spirit to escape it. You're not forced to sin any longer. You've been set free. Another good place for an amen. You've been set free. Now, apart from God, Apart from his working of grace and mercy in our lives through the cross, apart from salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and us yielding our lives, repenting of our sin and receiving him as our personal Lord and Savior, apart from that, we're depraved, right? Left to our own, we are morally bankrupt and we are corrupted. We sin. And when we don't have Christ, that's your identity. Sinner, that's your job. But because of God's grace and what he did for us on the cross, that's no longer your identity. You have been given grace. You have been given mercy. You have been given the Holy Spirit so that you no longer have to sin. Now, let me me just say this. Uh, When I talk about being uh, corrupt, being depraved, you might think, well, I know some good people who don't walk with Jesus and they're not Christians. I get it, right? There There are people who can clean themselves up. They have really strong flesh. But at the core, judgment still hangs over our head if we don't receive Jesus Christ personally. But when he comes into our lives, that condemnation, gone. The sin that hangs over our head no longer has to hold us in bondage. We've been set free. This is what we find in 2 Peter. So Peter, one of the disciples and apostles, he says this, his, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and Godliness. Isn't that what we're looking for in our Christian life? Like, I want to be godly. I want to be holy. I want to be obedient to God. His spirit, his power is given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So we got power. Does a Christian have to sin? No. So if we don't want to sin and we don't have to sin, why do we sin? Why do we sin? We all sin. This room is not filled with sinless perfection. This room is not filled with people who have always gotten it right. This this stage, the person talking to you, is not filled with sinless perfection. Don't put me on a pedestal. Don't hold me up and say, well, that's the holy guy. I I have a different role. I have a different responsibility. I'm going to be held to a different account than many people. But I'm just like you. You may be thinking, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, we're in trouble if that dude's just like me. None of us in here, we have sinless perfection. So if you come in and you're thinking, well, everybody who's a Christian, they're perfect. Uh Uh-uh. No, we're not. This has got to be the most unique gathering of of people, right? The church, right? The church is filled with unholy people in and of ourselves, people who continue to sin and and do wrong things. And yet God calls us saints and calls us holy. It's it's really unique. But not a one of us in here would be able to stand up and say, "Mm mm-hmm, sinless perfection. I do everything right. All that I think and do and say, perfect. That's not us. And so how, how is this? If we don't want to sin, we don't have to sin, why? Why do we sin? I want to show you something. It's going to be in the book of John, John chapter 14, verse 15. You, you can turn there. But again, we're talking about what it is to be a Christian. We're talking about what it is to, to walk this out 
And if we're going to look like Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus, then we're going to want to be obedient, right? We would say that as a Christian, we don't want to have sin. We, we don't want to be bound to that kind of thing. And so we're going to walk in obedience. We're going to walk away from sin. We want to look at a Christian who's just, you know, consistently wanting to sin and walking away from God and go like, oh, yeah, that's a great Christian right there. No, we're all longing to look more and more like Jesus and to walk away from sin and experience the freedom and the victory that he has given. Well, how do we do that? I want to show you something. John 14, verse 15, Jesus says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I used to read that through a lens, and maybe you read it through this lens too. And, and we read it like, if you love me, you better do what I say. If you love me, you'll be obedient. It, it, it's going to be, you're going you're gonna to prove that you love me by being obedient. And the emphasis is on the command. The emphasis is on the performance. I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to do the right thing if I really love him. But I don't believe that the emphasis here should be on the performance of the commands. I believe that the emphasis is on the relationship. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I don't know if you've got it yet. But if you love me, you'll be able to keep my commandments. It's not a matter of, hey, you better work hard and earn my love. You best perform. You best get on this and earn your salvation and love me. No, no, you love me. The result is obedience. Obedience is the focus of the believer, or obedience is not the focus of the believer. It is the relationship. O obedience is the fruit of the love. Obedience is the result of loving God. Obedience is what Christ is producing in us out of the relationship that we have with him. You're only going to be as obedient as your love. So as we are loving him, as he is pouring his love into our hearts, as we are lifting our love to him, what we find is the result, obedience. And I would say that any sin that you have in your life, Christian, any sin that you have in your life exists because you love that sin more than you love God. Any sin that you hang on to, you're hanging on to it because honestly, you enjoy and love the sin more than you love the holiness of God in you. That's why we keep sinning. We don't have the relationship. We are not experiencing the love. There's a direct connection between your intimacy with Jesus Christ and obedience that flows out of your life. It's the relationship. It's not you. You're not the center of this. Christ is, and it is Christ in you as you love him. He loves you. He pours that into you. The result is obedience. Now, let me, let me show this to you kind of with a, a little grid. What I'm saying is we sin, and the reason that we sin is because we don't love God. Now, I'm not saying that you, you have no love for God or that you could care less about him. I'm just simply saying you don't love God like you should. Like you, if you are sinning and you continue in that, you love the sin more than God. Well, why, why, why don't we love God? Well, we, we don't know God. The reason that we don't love God is we don't know him. And again, I'm not saying that you don't know that there's a God, and I'm not saying that, that you don't know things about this God. I'm just saying you don't know God like you could. You don't know him fully. It was in 1991, 
Summer of 91, July 27th, 1991, Charles City, Iowa. Tammy and I stood in front of family and friends. Dad officiated. He was there. He knows. And on that day, we pledged our love and our faithfulness to one another. But I didn't love Tammy then like I love her now, honestly. I was like, I couldn't. <laughs> I, I didn't know her like I know her now. I know, I know now her character and her heart. I know of her forgiveness, thank God. I know of her love. I, I know her in a different way now. I know her. And the problem with many Christians is, is they don't know God the way that they could. They, their knowledge of God just skims the surface. They don't know of God's character and his attributes. They've not spent time with him. They've not had experiences with him. So as a Christian, they come along and they say, well, I love God. Okay, great. Tell me about him. Tell me about the attributes that you find and you know from God's word. Tell tell me about your experiences with this God. Tell me about how much you love him and how much he loves you. Tell me of the time that you've spent with him. Tell me of your knowledge of this one who is so other. The fact of the matter is we don't know him many times like we should. Well, why don't we know him? Well, we don't know him because we don't spend time with him. The only way any relationship is going to grow is through time. Through spending time with one another. Like I know Tammy now in a way that I couldn't know her back in 1991. Why is that? How is that? 30 years. 30 years of relationship. We, we have spent time with one another. There, there are experiences that we have gone through that draws my heart to her. There's, there is this time that is spent. And time spent in relationship is how every single relationship Rose. What, what if back in 91, when I proposed to Tammy, what if I had said, uh, Tammy, here's, here's the deal. Here's how the relationship's going to work out. Here's how the time's going to work. I am going to spend one day a week on Sunday for about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes with you. I'll see you once a week for an hour on Sunday, unless of course the ball game's on or the weather's bad. Or the weather's good. I don't know. It just really kind of depends. But the time I'm going to spend with you once a week on Sunday, about an hour and 15 minutes. Unless, of course, I need something from you. And if I need something from you, I'm going to call you. And you better come running. And you better meet my needs. In fact, if I need something from you, I might even get my friends to call on you as well. Now, no man would propose to a woman like that and live to tell about it. Right? No woman would accept a proposal like that. Why? Because that's not a relationship. That's a joke. But isn't that what we do with God? God, I'll spend time with you every Sunday or most Sundays. I don't know. It'll just kind of depend on what I feel like for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And then we wonder, why doesn't Christianity work? Like I, I went to church. That didn't work for me. Friends, our relationship with our Heavenly Father is not contingent on what we do on one day a week. 
It is contingent on the time that we spend with him intimately on an ongoing relationship with him. We've got to invest time. We must invest time. Otherwise, you're not going to get to know this God. Why don't you spend time with God? Well, you don't spend time with God because you don't see the need. If I were to say, again, rhetorically, you don't have to lift your hand. If I were to say, how many of you believe that spending time with Jesus is a good thing? Yeah. How many of you believe, like, if you would spend time with Jesus, and it would just bless your heart? Yes. How many of you believe if you spent time with Jesus, man, it would change things. It's going to change, like, your attitude. It's going to change your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, the way that you work. I mean, it's just going to change. How many of you believe that spending time with Jesus Christ is a necessity? Yeah. But what most people believe is that being with Jesus is a good option. Take it or leave it. Like, it might be good if it helps my life boost me by like 5% or whatever. Maybe if I've got time, well, then I'll spend time with him. Well, we don't see the need. Why, why don't we see the need? Pride. I don't need him. I'm good on my own. I don't need God. I'm functioning. I'm getting to work. I'm healthy enough. I don't need God, I've got me. Now, we don't say it out loud like that because, well, that would just be ridiculous. That would just be egotistical and narcissistic. But isn't this how we actually live? Isn't this what we're saying every time we are disinterested in being with God and we are more interested in what we've got going on? I'm just not desperate enough for you, God. I've got it all under Control. Friends, every single morning, God wants to pour out his mercy. He wants to pour out his grace. He wants to pour out his love on his children so that we would experience him, so that God could do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. But we end up saying, God, I've got this. God, I'm going to do this life, and I'm going to do it on my own. In the book of James, we read something important about this pride. James chapter 4, verse 6. Now, James is a, the half-brother of Jesus. And I've heard other, other pastors say, you know, what would it take uh, for you uh, if, if your brother said that he was God? What would it take for you to believe him, right? So James believes that his half-brother, Jesus, is God because he saw him alive after he had died on the cross. Now, James writes this book, and he says this in James 4, verse 6. He says, but he gives more grace. I could use some more grace. Grace is God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. Again, God, I've got this. I don't need you. I'm not desperate for you. I need me, more of me. He opposes that. He opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. So pride comes along and says, I don't need God. I'm not desperate for God. I'm good on my own. I can kind of make this through my life. If I really get in a pinch, well, then maybe I'll spend some time with him. Maybe I'll throw him a bone every now and then and show up on some Sunday mornings. And then, you know, I'll call myself a Christian and I'll say that I've got all that going on. But humility says, God, I am desperate for you. God, I, I can't do this life without you. I need you. I need thee every hour. Oh, I need thee. That's humility. That is what we're called to do. God, I can't do this on my own. So what if we flip the script? 
Rather than starting or or getting to this place where we're just kind of filled with pride, let's flip the script and start with humility. Let's work the other direction. Let's put ourselves subservient to Christ and say, I need you. I cannot do this on my own. I can't be the dad or mom you've called me to be. I can't be the spouse that you've called me to be. I can't be the boss. I can't be the coworker. I can't even be the Christian that you have called me to be on my own. And so humility comes first. And we have the humility because we see the need. When we see the need, that's the moment that we're going to spend more time with God. Like, I need you. Every hour, I need you. If I'm going to live, if I'm going to take my next breath, I realize you're the creator of all things. You hold all things. I'm not doing this. I'm not making this world go. You're doing it. And I need you every hour. I need you. I want you. I love you. And you get to know him because you're spending time with him. And all of a sudden, his character is revealing itself. And you understand who this God is. You open up his word and you're like, are you kidding me? This is the God I'm talking to right now? This is the God who called me to himself? I can have a relationship with somebody that big, that powerful, and I'm spending time with him? And your heart begins to expand. And what happens? We love God. We love him more because we're spending time with him and we're growing in this maturation in our relationship with him. And the result is obedience. Result is that we will be obedient. If you love me, you can keep my commands. It doesn't begin with obedience. Obedience is the fruit of love. If we start in our pride and we say, I'm going to work my way to God. I'm going to work this thing out. I'm going to strive. We won't get there. And every single Christian in this room, I would say, we want to obey God. In our heart of hearts, man, we we want to be obedient. We don't want to sin. We don't want to walk away from God. We want to be with him. But that kind of thing is not accomplished through your will and your power because it stinks. I know it stinks because I'm just like you. I've never been able to do it on my own. I have never been able to be obedient and faithful to Christ on my own, to walk in some kind of selfish pride, some kind of ego, and be like, you are really fortunate I said yes to you. That has never happened through pride. It only happens through humility. And we have this humility because we see this need. We know how far from God. We know how far from perfection. We know how far from obedient we are. And then we start to spend more time with him. We get to know him as we're spending time with the one who has called us to himself. Or we're not we're our own, but we have been called and called and, uh, by, and given a price over us. And he has invited us into this relationship. And man, my heart begins to expand. And then out of that, the fruit is, man, I just want to obey him. I have this obedience in my life. But let's be honest. None of us are accomplishing this perfectly. Right? Because again, we face temptation. Every single one of us feel and sense temptation. I want to show you another little graph. And this graph would work for any kind of temptation that you have in your life. But in this particular moment, I want to talk about the temptation that you and I have to not be alone with Jesus. Don't you feel that? Don't you feel the pull of the world and your calendar and your schedule and your time and the drama and the stress and all that stuff? And you're like, well, I don't think I really have time to be alone with God. And everything else is pulling at us and saying, you don't really need to do that. But perhaps you hear a message like this and you feel guilty, right? So you feel guilty and you're like, I think I need to spend time with God. And so you say, I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to do it. Pastor fired me up. I don't know if that's going to happen for anybody, but pastor fired me up. I feel guilty, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to spend time with God. In fact, tomorrow morning, I'm getting my phone out right now 30 minutes early on the alarm. I'm going to grab my Bible. I'm going to get a seat. I'm going to be alone with God, and this time, I'm going to do it, boy. I am going to read this word. I'm so motivated. I'm going to read the table of contents all the way to the maps. Come in. I got it, and I am going to do it this time. And perhaps you're going to have some temporary success. You're going to get up in the morning. You're going to spend time with God. You're going to be like, man, I missed that. I'm going to do it again the next day. And you do it the next day, and you're like, man, this is awesome. I don't know why I hadn't been doing this before. This is so good. And you might even make it a week, a whole week, and you're going to come back here next Sunday, and you're going to be like strutting the spiritual strut. Get me to the house of the Lord. I'm ready to be with God. And you come in here, you're kind of floating on a spiritual cloud, and you're like, I think I am so filled with the Spirit of God, I might lift my hands halfway. (laughs) But you know what's going to happen. Somewhere along the way, you're going to fail. You're going to have failure. Maybe you forget something. You get distracted. You, you, You sleep in. And then all of a sudden, you start to feel this guilt. And you start thinking, oh, I am a failure. Why can't, I, why can't I get my act together? I woulda, coulda, shoulda. Why do I keep dropping the ball? Why? This is like the story of my life. And you beat yourself up and you're thinking, well, God's so tired of this. I mean, how many times is he going to put up with me saying, well, I'm going to be really good this time. And I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to spend time with him. And then I just kind of walk away. How much do I hate God in my heart? I'm a mess. But then somewhere along the line, maybe you're listening to the radio station and a song comes on. And you're like, ah, I got to get back in this. You feel some kind of guilt, maybe another message, and you hop back on it. And you open up God's word again, and you are doing good. You make it two weeks, maybe a month. But you know what's going to happen. You're going to hit failure again. Somewhere along the line, you're going to drop the ball. You know what all this is? It's pride. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get this done this time. I just need a better system. If I could just get a better system, maybe a different Bible study. Maybe if I, if I could get, get maybe, uh, my alarm set at a different time or get a different rhythm. No, I'm going to do it. I just need to try harder. I need to work harder. And this is where most Christians live. Pull yourself up. Get it together, boy. Get it together, lady. Try harder. Grit your teeth. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Perform. Get it done. You're never going to get it done. Let's turn this around. Let's start with temptation again. We're all going to face the temptation to sin. Again, in this particular case, to not be alone with God. But what if we were just honest and we said, well, I can't do it. I know me. I know me well enough that there's no way I'm going to get it done. I've never done it before. I can't get it done now. Do you know what happens when you finally come to this place of honesty, like I'm done pretending, what do we learn in James 4, 6? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God gives grace. And God is able to do for you what you could not do for yourself. You've never been able to do it. You weren't able to save yourself. He gave you his grace. You aren't able to walk this out and be with him the way that your heart longs to be with him. 
and God gives you grace. And then we experience victory. And victory isn't coming along and saying, look what I did. <laughs> look how hard I've been working. Look at it. Look at how great, look at how many days I've done like my God time. No. Victory is where we say, look what Jesus has done. Look what Christ has done in something like me. There's no sense of, well, he sure is lucky to have me spending time with him. Look what Christ is doing through his grace. And that is when God gets the glory. Now, victory, victory, it doesn't mean deliverance. Don't, don't get me wrong here. Deliverance means you're never going to face that temptation. You're, you're, you're going to conquer every single time and you don't have any challenges. You have no temptation. Victory happens amidst the temptation. And you're going to have temptation as long as you're on this side of heaven. But God can do in us what we can't do for ourselves. And in that moment, we experience victory and God gets glory. And this happens through humility. It's never happened through your own strength and your own doing. Only the grace of God this is how we live the Christian life. It's not enough to just simply commit yourself to being Christian. You're not called for you to live the Christian life. You can't do it. You are called to let Christ live in you. This is how we live the Christian life. Christ in us. The hope of glory, this mystery that has been given. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. Nothing. And that doesn't start with pride. That starts with humility. That starts in a relationship. If you love me, now, now you can obey my commands. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.